This is The Social Geek Radio Network. To Social Geek Rockstars. I'm Jack Munson, your host and marketing conciliary. Today, letting go of perfection. Are you a perfectionist in your work, your online image? Just how perfect can your life be on social media? And now with AI, it might be getting worse. I'll talk to rock stars Derek Abelman, Liz Solar, and Scott Greenberg. Today's episode is brought to you by Answer Connect, Hughes, and the discussion starts next after I grab another hot cup of Big B coffee. Big B coffee started with a single store in Michigan in March of 1995. One year later, on a handshake, Bob Fish and Michael McFall decided to franchise the concept. Bigby is on a mission to become 100% farm direct, bringing a name, a face, and a place to every cup of coffee served through the One Big Island in Space initiative. Interested in owning your own Bigby coffee? Begin building a life you love with Bigby coffee by visiting bigbyfranchising.com. Joining me today to talk about perfection, or maybe the lack thereof, we've got Derek Abelman of Northeast Color, Scott Greenberg, author of The Wealthy Franchisee, and voice actor and podcaster Liz Solar. Hey, everybody. How are you on this perfect Friday in the spring of 2023? Lovely to see you, Jack. Couldn't be better. Perfect. Yeah, perfect. It's yeah. and and I think Derek, we use that word a lot when we're responding to texts or emails now. Instead of just saying yes or okay or K or cool, we say perfect, which is not always perfect. No, I mean I like to throw out I like to throw out a perfecto just to like just kind of like <laughs> slang it up a bit because otherwise it, it makes me nervous. When I think of perfection, I think of like Perfection just seems like nervous, restless. It seems like a thing that is just like you're trying to protect or shield or something like that. It, so I have to I have to dirty it up a little bit with the dash and the O at the end. Maybe an exclamation. A, a little Arthur Fonzarelli on that perfecto, I think, too. Yes. So yeah. <laughs> and, and Scott, how are you? Um, I, I know you've probably got some good stories to kick us off with here because I know all of the speaking gigs you're doing, all of the keynote addresses, they all go absolutely perfect a hundred percent of the time, but has there ever been one that maybe didn't go quite as perfect as you had wished? Every single presentation I've <laughs> ever given all the way back to being in fifth grade running for student council, vice president. Um, yeah, every single one and every single one I have always focused on the imperfections, even though I got elected student council, vice president. Uh, and even though I've been invited back and most of my presentations have gone well and supported my family, I can't help when it's over. When I reflect, it's on the joke that didn't get a laugh, the point that wasn't articulated well. 
it was maybe the one feedback sheet out of tons that were great, but the one that maybe wasn't quite as great. Um, that is, say, you know, that's what gets my focus. And it's just brutal. Or I've had speeches that were awesome, I felt, and then I watched them on video. And then <laughs> it just ruins the memory for me because my, you know, what I experienced on the inside was very different than what I saw. I can't watch myself on video. That's why I'm glad this is audio right now. You really, so you're one of those guys, you don't go back and watch your, your old speeches or presentations. You, you just can't do that anymore. Well, I didn't say I don't do it. I just, well, maybe I did say I don't, I, you know, I can't, I, I do sometimes because first of all, I need the clips for promotional purposes. Yeah. Um, but I also, I do want to get better, but it is painful. I will watch them sometimes and think, why aren't they angry at me for giving that presentation? Uh, because I'm focusing on the imperfections. What I didn't say, even though they know I didn't say it. I mean, you know, I also write. So both speaking and writing, these are very public things. And when things are public, you're more self-conscious. And so, yeah, that imperfection is there. But as you, you know, we were talking about earlier, very often those imperfections become these great moments because there is humanity there. People don't want a perfect speaker, a perfect, a perfect anything. The imperfection makes them feel better about themselves. And sometimes new things are born through those mistakes that are better than what you had planned to begin with. Do you find when you start a presentation, especially if it's in a really large group with um, maybe people you don't know so well, or or they might not know you quite yet, that that showing a little bit of imperfection or some sort of vulnerability, is that a good thing? Or do you try to avoid that and make it as perfect as possible? I no longer resist it. You okay. know, it, it, in, in all my efforts to ever be perfect, that ambition came with stress and anxiety that ultimately leads to a lot of imperfection. And I found the opposite to be true. When I allow myself to settle for 80% to good enough, I exceed my expectations and because the stress isn't there and I can focus on what really matters. So even though my old Little League coach used to say, I want you to give me 110%. First of all, mathematically, I never understood that. <laughs> but it created a level of stress, which impacted performance. So even though I come from a background of motivational speaking, I no longer advocate for like the big, like excellence, first place, as much as you can get. Give me everything. You know, everything comes at a cost. So, um, you know, that, that, that's my thought. So- Let's go back to checking out your previous work. I understand the video part because I'm exactly the same way as far as rewatching old presentations on video or something like that. Let me ask you about your written work, which is something that doesn't happen in a single moment of, in time. You've got weeks and months to go back and change it and obsess over it and change it again and make it as perfect as possible. Do you go back and read your own books and look for things that you wish were a little bit more perfect or are you pretty good with how they're working out right now? As you know, I'm, I'm almost done writing my second book and I yeah. do a lot of re parts of my, my process. Every time I sit down to write, I start reading from the beginning of that chapter. And if I leave to go get a cup of coffee or something, then I go back and have to start reading from the beginning of that chapter and continue. So I look at it over and over and over again you know, the rewriting, I think, is what's most important. But it's still brutal because unlike a speech, well, maybe it'll be forgotten. Um, once a book is out there in the world, you can't revise it. And I will tell you that when I wrote The Wealthy Franchisee and I submitted and approved of the final draft after it was edited and everything, I didn't see it for a few months 
before going into a studio to record the audiobook. That was the first time I saw it in months with fresh eyes. And I counted eight mistakes that were too <laughs> late to fix. Now, my agent said the average um, uh, book around that size, nonfiction, has like 12 or 13 mistakes in its first printing. So I guess it did, but every one of those mistakes, it still felt like a punch in the gut. And I thought people are going to read this and think I'm an amateur and all that. So they've since been corrected. There's probably more mistakes in there. Um, but somehow, you know, the book has done okay for me in spite of that. Yeah. But it's brutal, Jack, because that's that's my baby. And my baby has a little few too many Marilyn Monroe birthmarks on it. Uh, beautiful. I think they're all beautiful though. Liz, you've recorded a lot of stuff. You've you've created so much content over the past few years. Are you the same way as far as going back and listening to some of the recordings and things that you've done and and finding those flaws or are you more looking forward to the next one? Where do you kind of fit in on that spectrum? It's never a good thing to look back. And I agree with Scott. <laughs> I would prefer not to listen back. The only way we can learn to get better is to listen or to look and, you know, sort of scrutinize, okay, what could I do differently? What could I do better? And at the same time say, I like what happened there. That's actually, uh, you know, that's an example of what I would like to hear happen or see happen in my presentation. Or that was a great point. And I, I hope that we can you know, we can share something with people. Perfectionism for me, because I'm somebody who loves to live in their head. It's a little, you know, it's a little cage that I live in. And I, I think that so much of perfectionism comes from what we think other people expect from us. So as an old friend of mine used to say, what other people think of you is none of your business. But we make it our business and rather to rather than going out with an open heart or an open mind and saying, I'm giving this talk, I'm writing this book, I'm doing this voiceover, and what am I giving this person? We're in our heads, I think many of us, judging it as we're, you know, actually creating. And I don't think any good creation can come out of self-criticism or tension, which is, I think, what we're doing. And so on one hand, we're asking ourselves, be your best most authentic, genuine self. And then we're like, but my genuine self really sucks. So I'm going to try to guess at what other people are expecting of me. So it will be quote unquote, perfect. So, you know, long-winded answer to your question, Jack. Yeah. I, I really scrutinize things that I do and every once in a while I'm happy with it. Yeah. Do you find uh, every once in a while you, you did something, especially when you're recording some voiceover stuff that, ooh, I did that not how I probably wanted to do it, but it actually ended up better because it just felt more genuine or or for some other reason. And you know what it has to do with? Breath. Like when we kind mm. of let go of everything, you know, everything in our head and we're breathing normally because in real life, we're not thinking about, oh, I'm taking a breath in the middle of that sentence. We just let it happen. So I find that many of the happy mistakes come from, being free enough to just breathe in my own body, just be in my own body. I read something recently um, and I just said, um, and that's what this has to do with. If you breathe more and you plan your breath and you take a break with a little pause, just like I did there, you will get rid of your ums and ahs, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's something 
that far too many of us don't do. So I love that idea of taking a break, making a little pause, resetting my brain for a fraction of a second. So maybe maybe that's where imperfection actually helps. I'm, I'm with you, Liz. And I tend to think of myself as a more of a stickler than a perfectionist, right? The, the difference being that I don't worry about perfection so much as I strive to be detailed oriented and, and just pay attention to what I'm doing. I think that that's a, that's a difference, right? Because precision is not perfection. And I think the times in my career where I've, I've benefited and a mentor has sat me down and just showed me either tangibly how to do something or how to bring my attention to what I'm doing. Not what people are thinking of me, not how this reflects, not my ego, not, not any of that, but just, what are we doing right here, right now? That that interests me. That's that's something I can grab onto and hold onto because then it's more about process. And again, precision doesn't mean perfection in the way that it's not closed, right? You can be open to other things and still still be precise or or still have what's that big buzzword now, mindful, right? So like that old joke about uh, job interviews, like. What's what's your greatest weakness? I'm a bit of a perfectionist, right? That that old song. <laughs> we know inherently that this is a red flag in our character. We know inherently that that, that to work with a perfection perfectionist to bring someone in that that is going to have that kind of mentality is going to jam things up. We know that that's like could be a problem, and so I think that there is a difference. And I think being able to separate your ego from some of it and just be it in that flow state or in that, that actual thing that you're doing is, is helpful. Is it a bit intimidating to deal with a perfectionist because they're not just being a perfectionist for their own activities. You think they're looking at you and thinking, wait, wait a minute. If they're that way with themselves, they're going to be super critical of me and my imperfections. Absolutely. I, I think that, I think the dealing with someone who is a perfectionist and, and the first place my mind goes where that would be is um, I remember there was this really fancy catering uh, company in San Francisco where I lived and they were doing this huge event and um, in the Embarcadero building that I worked at the time. And the, all of the, the catering staff had a you know, shirts that said on the back, uh, perfect will be just fine. And I was terrified <laughs> for the whole staff. <laughs> okay. Just to, to live, to have that emblazoned on your back. And, and I think when you start getting into the service industry or in any sort of thing where you're dealing with clientele um, and the public, but particularly things like weddings or catering or anything like that, my last job, we made um, bespoke suits. And so perfection and what that meant to someone was very different than what could really be achieved with the materials. And, and like, there are all of these factors. It's there's reality and then there's your, your idea of it. So um, I think that elevated mental state has, has, as you guys have been pointing out, that it's more about the ego. It's this, it's this very, um, it's like this decorative tumor that we all carry around on our egos where it's like, oh, look at how magnificent this cancerous thing that is eating at me and everyone around me is. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's in general a very corrosive attitude. Hughes powers the networks that people and franchises everywhere depend on. 
Hughes enables franchises to attract and retain more customers and create consistent brand experiences across locations. And once the right network is in place, franchises can further use their existing equipment, like providing secure Wi-Fi for guests or deploying digital signage to engage customers. A secure, high-performing network can protect a franchise against data breaches and the harm they can cause the brand and business. Hughes is small enough to care, large enough to succeed. Reach out and find out how Hughes can become your networking partner. Call Carl Udler at 301-601-6427 or visit Hughes.com slash franchise. How did we get here? Does anybody have any thoughts on on why perfection maybe, and I'm going to blame everything on social media, but um, does anybody have any thoughts on why the 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 ideal perfect situation is just so prominent in, in everyone's lives and news feeds right now? Yeah. Well, part of it is, is, you know, what's the alternative, you know, years ago, before I wrote the book, I wrote, I had an idea for a different book, which is all about the embracing imperfection. But then my thought was, okay, great. Now what companies want to buy that and what industries want to bring me in to speak, <laughs> to talk to their yeah. members and audience about, you know, settling. Right. And so, and part of it is, I, I don't think that, I don't think that imperfection is good. It's the way we deal with it. Like your pursuit of perfection is great, but then how do you deal with it when you're imperfect? I think we need to be okay with it. Not that we strive for imperfection, but we need to be okay with it. That's the issue. Um, and so maybe, you know, the counter is to, that is more positive is to pursue balance and acceptance. Um, but yeah, I think it's caused because I think no one else has known what to pursue or what to say. And and here as a country, we're you know the most ambitious country on earth. It's the land of opportunity. So we're we're pretty heavily, we're pretty full-leaded, very caffeinated. And we want to go for everything. That's just our value system here. And so I think that we're pushed, including by industries like mine, motivational speaking. People have always, I think, pursued perfection to some extent because we always compare. You know, how old is that? saying, you know, the grass is always greener, you know, next door. So we look at other people, we compare, we don't really know what their lives are. We're just seeing that perhaps ours doesn't stack up in a way that we look at it. If we could really see other people's lives, we might say, well, you know, hard pass, or they have certain things and I envy that they are able to attain them, although they are not the types of things that I would want. So we, I think, chase the idea of success and the idea of perfection without, I think, defining what that means to us. Because I think we could all sit back and say, my life is perfect as is. I am perfect as is. If we have a spouse, a friend, a child, someone that we look up to, they could be perfect for us but we need to change our idea of, of what that really means. The, the other piece is most of us don't grapple with the idea of adversity, which makes people much more successful than having things just float on as if everything is perfect. And I believe that the people who have not the most adversity, but the people who learn to deal with it well, end up transcending all of that and creating something really new for all of us to appreciate. I heard a man at a a commencement speech, a good friend of mine just got her master's, and he was talking about adversity. He went blind when he was 
14, became the first blind person to climb, you know, Mount Everest and many other, and, and was talking about people he knew who had this adversity in their lives and what it does to motivate some people. It can crush you, as can perfection or the pursuit of perfection. But I, I think when we really have a challenge and we reach for that challenge, that is something that I think fills us up more than, than the idea of how can I make this look as beautiful as possible? I'm with you, Liz, and I, I would add to add to that some of of how we got here with this obsession. To me, seems to also have something to do with the fact that we're a, a deeply consumeristic society, right? That that we are constantly consuming goods, materials, experiences, whatever that is. And to your point, Jack, when when things go on social media, all of those things are props or elements or stitches in our the giant fabric of ourselves. So. The things that we purchase and how how what we expect out of them reflect our persona at some level and become some part of our personal brand. And, and I think that we become sort of the, cons we're the consumers of our own brand, the consumers of our own sense of that voice in our head and telling us what we expect out of the world, what we expect out of ourselves, all for some never to be written Yelp review of, of our experience as a human person. Right. Like that it's all building. So or did you get four stars on your life? How'd you do? Did you do it to get? Yeah. No, three and a half. No, not so much. Um, but but I think that it's it is all tied up in that um, how we view ourselves through others eyes and how we use our this limited amount of time and energy. And we don't we don't want to get it wrong. We don't want to get it wrong. We just don't want to fail. And we don't want other people to see that it's wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want someone else to see my my review was not five stars and which is weird to me because I spent my early life never caring about grades. And now suddenly I care about grades. I think we used to mess up, but only our nearest and dearest, only our smallest community would see that we failed, you know, perhaps epically. Right. So there, whatever embarrassment or shame came with that, it was a small group of people. Now there's a bigger stage for that. And, and I know at a certain point, um, one of my kids was saying they knew they knew a lot of people in their age group that would not go off and try things because mm -hmm. they didn't want to fail on such a big stage. Mm -hmm. There's nothing new about that, but it it is a bigger infection than it used to be, only because of the the numbers of people that you can fail in front of, and so you don't do things. And I can speak from my own experience, my perfectionism, which people wouldn't say, oh, she does everything perfectly, but my perfectionism is procrastination, which I think is a huge fallout of perfectionism. We don't pursue the things that we want to do, that we keep saying, you know, and they roll into days, weeks, months, years of not doing them for fear that they won't be perfect. And, and so I think that this is a little bit more of the same um, happening on a grander scale. I think what uh, has changed a little bit is the profile of perfection itself these days involves knowing what imperfection to share. You know, we have mm -hmm. all the definitions of what is professional or these days, and you see it on LinkedIn, a lot of people love to put their personal stuff out there love to talk about their vulnerability, about their disability, um, things that, you know, we Gen Xers and older might be more inclined to keep to ourselves. A lot of people, uh, especially younger people, they just kind of want to put it all out there. 
um, saying, hey, look at me, I'm real, I'm vulnerable. And I think that, you know, I don't know that it's any more real. It's just kind of what you're focusing on. And that's kind of part of that image. But the concern is being too polished, right? So it maybe it's a different set of expectations, but to me, it's still the, the curation of one's image. That's That's quite purposeful. Scott took the words right out of my mouth. It is a really curated look at me. It's, you know, again, going back to those interviews where if I have one flaw, it's that I care too much, you know, and and there's like you see a lot of that, you know, LinkedIn even used to be a more professional place. And now I see people talking about their kids, their accolades that have nothing to do with the work they do. I understand people want to be more, you know, holistic in the way they present themselves, but they are plucking the details that they want to share. Right. Yeah. The, uh, the vulnerabilities that we share are probably not the vulnerabilities that we're not sharing, right? There's probably a few things that all of the people who are getting accolades for being genuine, there's probably a few details that they're not sharing right now. Just a thought. Curated vulnerability. Uh, there's... <laughs> There's this, um, I was recently introduced to this, uh, I guess it's like an aesthetic concept in Japan called wabi-sabi. You guys ever heard of that? Yes. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, for those of you that don't know, it's it's a view of finding beauty in every aspect of imperfection, essentially in nature. And it's, it's about the aesthetic of things in existence that are imperfect, impermanent, and incomplete, right? Nothing lasts, nothing is ever finished, and nothing is perfect. And, and I think that if you, you know, Google that and take a look at some of the examples, it mostly comes through in pottery or objects, that there is this sort of authenticity that, that is imbued in these objects by simply them being a little lopsided or the paint got over here. Um, but again, that is still done with this presence of mind. It is still done with like um, a form of care, but it isn't seeking perfection. It's not a mistake for a mistake's sake. It's being able to to recognize beauty in that impermanence. And, and I, you know, everything I just said could easily become a post on LinkedIn about that, right? This is like, <laughs> that all could sound like a very curated statement of, of vulnerability or imperfection. But I think that what's behind all of that, once you get past the bumper sticker, is being uh, maybe at peace with yourself at some level, right? Maybe, maybe being able to accept yourself at some level where you don't have to perform anything. And when I look at these objects that when you Google Wabi Sabi, you will see there is a, a just so-ness about them, right? They're, they're, they're authentic. And, and I love, for example, I'm talking to you guys on an Apple computer right now, which is a seamless, perfect, super gorgeous looking thing that, that tells me that I live in the space age and that I'm going to make some incredible work with this. And it, it reinforces certain ideas about my ego. Um, but, but I think that ultimately those are objects that are in the furtherance of another ideal. And I think being able to stop and just say, I don't need to go out. I can stay right with this thing, whatever that is, and sort of the quieting of the mind. Somewhere around there, the, the wabi-sabi and being comfortable with yourself is, is probably, to me, an important part of, of this. That's an excellent point, uh, Derek, to my heart, because, you know, nature loves asymmetry. And when we talk about the perfection of people, you know, who have AI enhancements or Photoshopping or the just 
I, I think, crazy amount of cosmetic surgery that's done, the face wants to be asymmetrical. And that is the beauty of the face. And so I think when we look at a face that has been surgically, quote unquote, enhanced, we're like, there's something wrong with that. And what's wrong is that we've taken the the natural face and made it into something it's not by perfecting it. So there's something about perfection that bothers us. And you can't pick up a piece of pottery because I do a lot of it. If I made, you know, six mugs, they're all going to be a little different because they're generated by the human hand. But people would rather drink out of that than some mass-produced, you know, thing that they bought at, you know, Macy's, Walmart, Bloomingdale's, I don't care. It's its all the same. And in even, you know, beautiful, we've gotten away from, I think, and there is a somewhat of a return to real crafting. And crafting isn't about perfection. It's about making something serviceable and beautiful. And I don't know, that's all I have to say about my my railing against perfectionism. Well, I also think that, you know, so much of our imperfection is our story. You know, the stain of my shirt, uh, the scar on my neck from a surgery I had a couple of years ago, the crack in the Liberty Bell. Every one of these things is a record of something that happened, right? Like, and I have my own scars, my own gray hair, lack of, you know, whatever. But all these things are part of who I am. And each one of these things, there's a story behind that. And I'm proud of those things and don't necessarily want to erase them. You know, true perfection, you know, AI generated imagery uh, can be boring in that way. And so I, I think there's something to be said for embracing these historical markers that are put on our bodies and put on our clothing. Um, that's there's something kind of cool about that. Yeah. I think it even goes into, you look at movie stars who have a scar or um, back in the old days, you know, uh, a, a veteran or, or some other character in a movie might have an eye patch, right? Nick Fury in the Avengers has an eye patch. Don't know why, but I bet there's a good story there, right? He doesn't have perfect vision, but I bet that would be a great movie that will come out someday. Um, Liz, I want to follow up on what you were just saying about um, something being beautiful isn't perfect. While we were preparing for this podcast, I found this quote from the great philosopher Bob Marley, who when asked about being perfect, he said, even the moon is not perfect. It's full of craters. Everything that is beautiful isn't perfect. It's special. So, so everyone embrace your imperfections, please. I appreciate all of your thoughts and ideas today, my friends. And I look forward to chatting again with you all very soon. Thanks so much for having us, Jack. Jack, thank you. I appreciate and love you and all of your imperfection. <laughs> yeah, Jack, thanks. This conversation was very adequate. <laughs> Three and a half stars, Jack. <laughs> Before we go, a quick word from Answer Connect. Everyone has a phone, but not everyone is answering the phone correctly. When you spend marketing dollars to grow your business, you cannot afford to miss any calls or answer the phone with, hey. Answer Connect is open 24 hours a day, 365 days a year to support new business, current clients, or urgent calls, and they send messages to you immediately. 
They integrate with many of today's popular CRMs, taking advantage of technology and taking one more thing off your to-do list. In addition to taking calls, they set appointments, follow up on potential clients via form fill inquiries, and make outbound calls for reinvigoration campaigns. Let Answer Connect work in your business so you can work on your business. Call Answer Connect at 800-584-0234. That's 800-584-0234. Or visit answerconnect.com slash franchise. And thanks for listening to Social Geek. Your comeback of a lifetime starts now. This is the Social Geek Radio Network.